Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to News from the Torah. This is Leah Aharoni and this week we will discuss the amazing, insightful Torah portion of Korah. Today is the 22nd day of June 2022 and the 23rd day of the Hebrew month of Sivan. We are in a series of Torah portions that all discuss the crises that the Jewish people underwent in the desert on their way from Mount Sinai to Israel. It's a 40-year journey, but the Torah comprises it in a short series of stories about the crises of the people in the desert. And like everything else in the Torah, we're not just talking about the desert and the experience of Jews after the Exodus. Every single story of the Torah is a story for our time, is a lesson for us. And isn't it interesting that on the week that we read the Parsha of Korach, in which Korach, a cousin of Moshe Rabbeinu, challenges Moshe's authority and leadership, this government that was all about challenging the leadership of Benjamin Netanyahu fell apart. I'm sure if you follow Israeli news, you know that this week it was decided that Israel is going for yet another fifth round of elections in the past three and a half years. The elections will be probably in early November, unless somebody uh, is successful in forming a government right now. We'll see if that happens. But basically, Israel is going for another uh, series of elections and government formations. We're going to have new leadership, hopefully. And it is so apropos that this change is happening on a week when we talk about leadership and challenges to leadership in the Torah. So this is going to be the theme of this week's show. Challenges to leadership, Israeli politics, and leadership lessons that we learn from the Torah, from Moses's uh, relationship to leadership, and from Korach's outlook on leadership, and what our sages have to say about these two outlooks. Because leadership is really what makes things happen. And obviously, the Torah has a lot what to say about leadership. And our, on our sages in stories and comments on this week's Torah portion present their approach to leadership. So stay tuned. We'll be with you right after these messages. The return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel was prophesied in the Bible thousands of years ago and is coming true today. Shalom. Join me, Josh Wander, on Israel Unplugged. Listen in as we delve into the spiritual and physical aspects of the Jewish return to Zion. We'll discuss the biblically mandated, historic, and of course practical understandings of this incredible transition from exile to redemption. That's Israel Unplugged, every Monday on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com.
Welcome back. So if life imitates art, this week, Israeli politics imitate the Torah. It can be more apropos that on the week when we read the Torah portion of Korach, about the infighting, about a challenge to authority and leadership of Moshe Rabbeinu, this government falls apart. The current Israeli government, headed by Knesset, is a coalition of parties who have only one thing in common. Their hate for Benjamin Netanyahu. It's the not-Bibi coalition. That's really the only thing that has held this coalition together for the past year. In this coalition, we had parties from the political right and from the political left. Parties that are pro-religion and anti-religion. Parties that are Jewish and Arab. And although they present themselves as a fraternity of Israel and a wide kaleidoscope of Israeli approaches, in the end, there was no ideological glue to this coalition. The only thing that really held it together was the hate of Benjamin Netanyahu. Now, you can like Netanyahu or dislike him, think that he has been the greatest statesman that Israel has seen in the past 50 years, or see him as an opportunist. Here on this show, we don't support any one politician. But what is impossible and unacceptable and cannot represent Israel as a country is a coalition that centers only on one issue, the hate of one personality. And as we see, this kind of coalition does not have any life force in it. And this has been the shortest Israeli government in the past 75 years. It has been the shortest Israeli government, the most problem-ridden, and has created huge havoc in Israeli society. With huge inflation that we have not seen here in years, with rising prices, and a host of economical problems that Israelis are really not used to seeing after about 15 years of prosperity. Now, this really imitates this week's Torah portion, the Torah portion of Korach. Korach was a distant cousin of Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, and Aaron. He was a Levite from one of the most honored families of the Levite tribe, the family that had the job of carrying the holy vessels of the tabernacle. So it was from an elevated tribe of Levites, and inside the Levite tribe, he was from the most elevated family. And he was really close personally as a relative to Moshe and Aram. But he decided to challenge Moshe's authority because he wanted to be the leader. It was all personal. Now, yes, Korah had all kind of ideological reasons that he presented to the people. He was also a populist. He would go from one tent to another tent and say, everything I'm doing is for you. I'm fighting for your rights. I'm fighting for your representation. But really, really what drove Korah was jealousy and his wish to become the leader and to establish a dynasty of leadership. And this is why he challenged Moshe and Moshe's authority. 
Now that's really amazing because Moshe was the most humble, modest person to ever live. Moshe didn't want leadership. Moshe tried to run away from leadership. And in the story of the burning bush, before Moshe takes the Jews out of Exodus, and God gives Moshe the mission to lead the Jews out of Egypt, Moshe spends seven days arguing with God and telling God why he should not be the leader, why this is not the right mission for him. And when God gets actually angry with Moshe, it's only then that he accepts the mission. Our sages ask, why was Moshe so adamant about not taking leadership? And they explain that he was a younger brother to Aaron. Aaron was the older brother. Aaron had been with the people of Israel, helping them and supporting them and suffering with them his entire life. Moshe grew up in the Pharaoh's palace. He spent years in Midian with the Midianites. He didn't really experience the pain and the hardship of the Exodus. So Moshe thought that it would not be fear nor right for him to take up the mantle of leadership instead of Aaron. And this is why he argued with God for days on end why he should not be the leader. Moshe was an unwilling leader, but he took on this leadership role because he understood that this is what God wants him to do. As opposed to Korah, who was looking to lead in order to lead. Korah was motivated by his own jealousy, by his own ambition, and by his own wish to be recognized. And this is why he challenged Moshe's authority. Chazal asked, Now, Korach did not stage this revolt alone. He had supporters, including 250 members of the Sanhedrin, of judges, people who are really elevated, people who are the leaders of the community. And they all joined together in this revolt against Moshe. And each one of them wanted to be the leader. Our sages put words of wisdom into the mouth of a woman, one of the wives of the leaders of the revolt. This person's name was On Ben Pellet. And our sages say that his wife talked him out of taking part in this revolt. And they put words of wisdom into her mouth in explaining how she talked her husband out of the revolt. So she told him, look, Today, Moshe is the leader. After the revolt, Korach will be the leader. You will be a follower. Either way, what do you care who is the leader? You will never be the leader in this revolt. So why does it matter to you? If this is a personal vendetta between two people, why do you have to take part in it? Now, obviously, Moshe was not in a vendetta. Moshe was going out of his way in every way possible to create peace, to talk Korach back off his, of the ledge that he climbed onto. And this is how she talked her husband out of it. And our sages say that when Moshe suggested that all of them, all of the leaders of the revolt, all 250 of them, bring a sacrifice of incense to God, and so does Aaron, and they would see which offering God chose, how can it be 
that there will be 250 contenders who come together to fight the authority of God, and each one thinks that he will be the one who is chosen. It's obvious that only one person will be chosen. So what's going through the mind of the other 249? But yes, they came together to find Moshe out of the hate and jealousy for Moshe. And this is exactly what we see with this government. We have an alignment of parties where only one of them can be the prime minister. So what do the other ones care? They're all motivated by hate and jealousy. Because only Bennett could be the prime minister. And now Lapid will be prime minister for the next, let's say, six months until the election or after the election. But what are the other party leaders thinking? Why is it so important to them to dethrone Netanyahu? And once again, if there was true ideology behind this coalition, it would have survived for much longer. And if there was true ideology behind this coalition, whether I personally agree with it or not, it would have been completely valid. It would have been sustainable and it would have led the country to something brighter and better. But what we see is that when people are motivated by infanting, there is no godly blessing in their work. And it only brings rifts and fights and destruction. And this government, in one year, has succeeded in destroying Israel's economic prosperity in a way that nobody else has been able to do in the past 15 years. Why is that? Because when you act out of a place of infighting, when there is no peace, when there's no internal peace, there is no room for godly presence and for godly blessing. We're taught in the Torah that there is only one vessel for prosperity and godly blessing, and that vessel is called peace. Where there is no inner peace in a nation, there can be no prosperity and no success. And we have seen this so clearly in the past year with things like inflation and rising prices. And although Netanyahu and his government were not perfect, they were able to guide Israel through Corona, through COVID, through a crisis that brought down many other countries. But Israel stayed safe and prosperous even in the corona and COVID crisis. But now that COVID is over and corona is over, this government has been able to achieve something nobody else could achieve, which is undermine Israel's prosperity economically and certainly the inner fabric of the country. So it's very interesting that this uh, development is happening this week as we read Parshat Korah. And I ask that you stay with me for more discussion of Parshat Korah, we'll be talking about leadership lessons from this week's Parsha. Stay put, we'll be right back. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Steve Miller. And I'm Matt Zucker. Join us for Lighten Up, where we take a look at the week's current events in Israel and from around the Jewish world through a humorous lens. If you've been paying attention during these crazy times, you know that it's a challenge to parody life anymore. But join Steve and I as we give it the old college try. Not only is being happy an obligation, but life is just too short to take it all so seriously. So join me, Steve Miller. And me, Matt Zucker. For Lighten Up every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Israel, only on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Welcome back. So, as we said in the introduction, this week's Torah portion, Korach, is all about infighting and leadership challenges. To recap, Korach was Moshe's cousin. He was part of the tribe of Levi, and he was part of the Kahari family that was responsible for carrying the holy vessels of the tabernacle. So out of all the Leviim, out of all the Levites, Korach's family had the most prestigious assignment to carry the actual vessels of the tabernacle as opposed to the other two families that carried the peripheral structural components of the tabernacle. So this challenge to Moshe's leadership comes after two other challenges in the previous two Torah portions. Two weeks ago, Moshe's own sister, Miriam, challenged his leadership when she suggested that he is a prophet just like her and just like her brother Aaron. Uh, Moshe left his wife Zipporah after God gave the Torah, and when Miriam found out about it, she told Aaron, how come Moshe left his wife? We are prophets just like his, and we're not leaving our partners, so what makes him think he should leave his wife? Miriam's primary role in life was to preserve the integrity of the Jewish family. That is what she has been doing since the day she was born. So she was quite concerned about the role model, the example Moshe was setting by leaving his wife. But the fact that she compared her own level of prophecy, her brother's level of prophecy, to that of Moses, who the Rambam tells us is the greatest prophet who ever lived, and the difference between his prophecy and all other prophets is not quantitative, it's qualitative. Um, so that was the challenge to his leadership, the fact that she did not understand just how holy he was and how he was at a different level of prophecy that has never and was never and would never be reached by any other human being. So after that internal private challenge inside the family, during last week's Torah portion, there is a more public challenge to Moshe's leadership when 12 spies go out to spy the land and they come back and they challenge Moshe's and God's ability to lead the Jewish people into the land of Israel. And in a way, they stage a rebellion by telling the Jewish people that they should all go back to Egypt and not proceed to the Holy Land. 
So that was the second challenge to Moshe's leadership, much more public one, but it was not directly targeting Moshe. It was targeting the whole issue of entering the land of Israel. In this week's Torah portion, Korach, once again Moshe's cousin, challenges Moshe personally. Korach comes out and tells Moshe that he has taken leadership and he has taken the priesthood for his brother Aaron, not by God's command, but a side of nepotism. Korach tells Moshe and Aaron that they usurped power and they are not, in fact, letting all of the Jewish people who are all holy to have opportunities for influence. Korach wraps this entire challenge into ideological statements, but our sages tell us clearly that it was all personal. Korach wanted power because his, his cousin Elitzafan was nominated as the head of the Kahadi family. Elitzafan and Korach were both Moshe's cousins, but Korach came from an older brother and Elitzafan came from a younger brother. And Korach considered it was to be his right to be the head of the Gahadi family. But God commanded Moses to give the um, leading role to Elitzafan, the younger cousin. And Korach saw himself being rejected and he wanted his power back. So why did he wait until this point in Jewish history to do that? Why didn't he challenge that nomination earlier? Because the Jewish people were on their, went to the, on their way to the land of Israel, and Korach was sure there was just a matter of days until they would enter the land of Israel, and this whole power thing wouldn't really not be so relevant. Everyone would go and live on their own plot of land. But now that the Jewish people are going to be spending 40 years in desert, this leadership role all of a sudden becomes much more relevant. And this is why now Korah is coming out and challenging Moshe's nomination. Now it's important to remember that, like we said, Korah was part of the Tsar family, and they had the most responsible task in the tabernacle of taking care of the holy vessels, as opposed to two other families who had more perfunctory roles. And still, that was not enough for Korah. It was not enough for Korah to be part of the Levite family, the family that was serving in the in the tabernacle. It was not enough that out of that family he had the most prestigious job. He wanted power. He wanted leadership. And as our sages tell us, when we accuse other people of doing something negative, it's usually a reflection back on ourselves. When you use your hand to point a finger at somebody else, you're pointing three fingers back at yourself. So Korach was accusing Moshe and Aaron of power grab and nepotism. But in fact, he was the one who was guilty of trying to grab power. He was the one who was power hungry. The Torah tells us clearly two weeks ago that Moshe was the most humble person ever alive. He was completely unconcerned with his own power, with his own leadership, with his own needs. In fact, back in the book of Exodus, before the Jewish people left Egypt, at the burning bush, when God asked Moshe to go down to Egypt and lead the Jewish people out, Moses said, no way, no how, I don't want that job. And he spent seven days arguing with God about 
nominating somebody else to lead the Jewish people out of Egypt. He was not looking for leadership. God sort of made him, forced him to assume leadership. And why was Moses so concerned about not becoming a leader? Because he did not want to slight his older brother Aaron. If you remember, Moses was not with the Jewish people most of the time in Egypt. At first, he was brought up in a royal castle, and then he ran off to Midian to escape being killed by Pharaoh. The person who was leading the Jewish people in Egypt was Aaron. So Moshe said to God, Aaron has been the person to lead the Jewish people the entire time they were in Egypt, and he should be the one who should be leading them out of Egypt. It makes no sense for me to glide in and be a leader all of a sudden. Aaron has been carrying the mantle of leadership this whole time. He should be the one to lead them out of Egypt. And God says, don't worry about Aaron. He's going to come out to greet you. And I know that in his heart, he is happy to see you assume leadership. Instead of Aaron being jealous or being hurt or being slighted, He's actually happy to see you become a leader because he's not in it for himself just like you are. Neither one of you is looking for a leadership role. Neither one of you is looking for power. You're both happy to have the job be done by the past person involved. So when Korach accused Moshe and Aaron of grabbing power and nepotism, he was pointing at the wrong people and he was really just reflecting more about himself and not about Moshe and Aaron. So there's an important leadership lesson here that we're learning. Leadership is all about service. And Jewish leadership is all about humility and serving the people you're meant to serve. It's not about power. It's not about influence. It's not about prestige. In fact, the way that God has tested Jewish leaders, Moses, and David, later on, was to see how they would treat their sheep. They were both shepherds, and when a little sheep would wander off and get lost, both Moshe and David would go out and find the little sheep and take care of it and bring it back and make sure that it stays with the flock that doesn't get hurt. They were really concerned with the people they were leading. They were out there to do the past for the people. And we see that Moses' first reaction upon hearing about Korah was praying for the Jewish people, his concern, not for himself, not for his leadership and the challenge to him personally, but for the fallout that this might create for the Jewish people after the previous sins that have befallen the nation. And that's the hallmark of Jewish leadership, really not taking care about yourself, not looking for power, not looking for influence, but thinking, how will this influence the people that I'm dealing with? And I want to wrap off this segment with a story about Rabbi Avraham Yitzchak HaKoyen Cook, the one of the first chief rabbis in the land of Israel. Rabbi Cook was already older and he was sick, and somebody decided to take care of his health and hung on his door a sign with visiting hours. And a few hours later, that sign was gone. So that member of the household hung another sign, and a few hours later, that sign was gone. And he came to complain to Rabbi Cook about how people are so rude, they're taking down the visiting sign, our sign. And Rabbi Cook said, I took out down the sign. So this member of the household said, how come, Rabbi, you don't want to have visiting hours? Rabbi Cook says, I don't have visiting hours. 
I'm a servant. I'm a servant of God's holy people. And servants of God's holy people don't have visiting hours. I'm here for my people whenever they need me, for whatever they need me. And this is really the hallmark of Jewish leadership, being there for the people you serve. We will discuss more about this, more about the current crisis of leadership in Israel, right after these messages. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. This is Shai Bentico, and each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany's but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel, Phantom Nation, every Monday. And welcome back. So as we're discussing leadership in this week's show, I'm wondering if some of you may be thinking that this is not relevant to you. After all, you're saying, I'm not a leader, so leadership is great for other people, but it has really nothing to do with me. And as we said in the previous segment, that's not true. God has created each and every one of us as a leader. We all have something unique to contribute that only we can. And the Slonima Rebbe writes that after 120 years on this earth, every person will go up to God to be judged. And in addition to being judged for learning Torah, for doing good deeds, for performing the commandments, God will also judge us on whether we perform our singular, unique, divine God-given mission. Now, I know that none of us came with instruction manuals, and you might not know what that mission is, but it is fairly simple to find out. I've been doing that for people and with people for the past decade. It's the place where the things that you love doing, the things that you're really good at, and the things that the community around you needs, the place where those three things intersect, that's your special power, that's your life mission, and this is what God will ask you about after 120 years. We're all here to serve, and when we serve others, we lead them. We lead them, people, to help them to get to places where they want to get. So on this level, we're all leaders, and to be those leaders, we need to recognize our leadership qualities. We need to stop hiding behind our armor, stop staying in our safe spots, stop being non-vulnerable and show up because yes, leadership takes courage and leadership takes vulnerability and leadership takes being able to take criticism and leadership means understanding that you're not perfect and leadership means you know that you will mess up sometimes, but it is still all okay. Because what you're doing is performing service for God. And what you really need to be a leader is just show up. If you show up and you are willing to take upon yourself this mission that God has given you, 
you can be sure that he will lead you and he will make sure that you get it done. So this is one aspect of leadership that is relevant to every single one of us. But this week's Torah portion teaches us another aspect of leadership that is less common that people pay less attention to. And that is that the real leaders are actually the people behind the leaders. And working with numerous organizations and consulting to numerous organizations, I know that the real influencers, the real leaders, are not the people in the spotlight. It's the people behind the scenes who consult to the leader, who help him, who encourage him, who show him the way, who are his think tank. Those are the real leaders. Those are the people who are really making the difference. And this is something that this week's Torah portion teaches us. In the first segment, I mentioned the story of On Ben Pellet and the words of wisdom that our sages put into his wife's mouth. Our sages ask, what happened that made Korah challenge Moshe's leadership? And on the flip side, they noticed that there was one of the leaders of the rebellion against Moses, a guy by the name On Ben Pellet, who somewhere in the middle of the Torah portion just disappears and is never mentioned again. So the Torah asks, why did Korah think of this rebellion? And on the flip side, what happened to this guy on Ben Pellet? And the answer the Torah gives is that it was all about their wives. So the wives here really represent the person behind the scene, the person who is influencing the leader, and every leader has somebody who's influencing them, the inner circle. So our sages tell us that Korach was actually extremely wealthy, but no matter what he had, it was never enough for his wife. And she kept nagging him to go against Moshe because she had this developed political understanding and she was thinking that Moses was grabbing more and more power and she wanted that power for her own family. So she was nagging Korach, look, Moses, he took the leadership and his brother Aaron, he has the priesthood. And the two sons of Aaron are the assistant priests. And they take the Truma um, donation to themselves and so on and so on. And then when God told Moses to shave the Levites as part of the dedication, she said, look what he did to you. He shaved got you to shave yourself and to look ridiculous. But Korach said, but Moses is also Levite. He also shaved. He said, yeah, yeah, for sure. He is willing to shave himself in order to ridicule you. So after nagging him day in and day out, some of her nagging actually went to Korach's head and he started this rebellion against Moses. On the other hand, we're told that one of Korach's followers. His name was On Ben Pellet. He was from the family of Reuven. And while he's mentioned in the beginning as one of the leaders of the rebellion, then he disappears. So the sages notice that and ask how come. And then they bring the story. On Ben Pellet was one of the leaders of, this, of the rebellion. And when he came home, his wife said, what do you care? It doesn't matter who wins. If Moses wins, you're still a nobody. And if Korach wins, you're still a nobody. Doesn't matter who wins, you will still be a follower. Your personal prestige will not rise. So what do you care? What do you have in this game? What skin do you have in this game? Why is it worth your while 
to be part of this debate. And on said, yes, that's true, but I've already committed myself. I can't get out of this. My honor is on the line. I've promised Korach to back him up. So his wife said, you know what? Let me take care of it. And she set him down to a meal and she gave him some wine. And basically he became inebriated and went to sleep. And she sat by the entrance to the tent and started brushing her hair. Now, hair is considered to be something that's kept private between husband and wife. And as part of Jewish law, women do not show up with the hair uncovered in public. So when Korach and his followers came to On's tent to call him and get him to join them against Moses, all of a sudden they came across his wife who was sitting there with her hair uncovered and brushing her hair, and they were very pious, quote-unquote. So they ran off and left On alone. And this is how On was spared the destiny of all the other followers of Korach, because when they all experienced the downfall and was swallowed by the earth, On was actually spared by his wife's wisdom. And about this story, the sages say that a wise woman will build up her house and a stupid woman will bring her own downfall. So I think the two important points here, one is more of a gender point and another one is relevant to everybody. I think we all have tremendous power in our hands and I think the sages underline the tremendous influence that we as women have on the people around us, on our husbands, on our children, on people at work. Women have this very unique ability to see to the needs of other people. They have the ability to intuitively understand what people around them need and want, and then play that up. Korach's wife saw that her husband was very proud and egocentric, and she played into that by boasting his ego, by boasting his pride. And in the end, unfortunately, by playing up her husband's ego and pride, she really brought her house down. While on the other hand, On's wife understand that really her husband had nothing to gain from this whole story. And she knew how to navigate the terrain without going out into a full-blown conflict, how to get him out in a way that still preserved his honor with, that did not require him to go against his own commitment. But she helped him to get out of this commitment that was not good for him. But then beyond the gender issue, we're all in places of influence. We're all close to people who are leaders. And that be that could be your manager at work. It could be a community leader. It could be a rabbi and at a synagogue. We all have leaders around us. And I think every single one of us is surrounded by leaders. Even a teacher in class is a leader. So we all have leaders around us. And even if you don't see yourself as a leader, even if you don't see yourself as capable of leadership, I think you can identify people of leadership around you and understand that you have tremendous influence on them. Leaders are lonely. They need somebody to run things by. They need somebody to help them process their emotions. And by being there next to the leader, influencing leaders 
from behind the curtain, so to speak, you can have tremendous influence on how things are happening. So I want you to think for a minute of the people in leadership positions whom you can gently influence to make the right decisions. I'm sure you can think of somebody and I'm sure you can think of ways that you can change the reality in your place of work, in your community, in your synagogue, by influencing leaders gently to do the right thing. Not going out into full-blown conflict like Korach's wife wanted, but gently influencing them to make the right decision the way on Ben Pellet's wife did. And if we are committed to doing the right thing, if we're committed to making the world a better place, if we understand we are placed at these critical junctions by God to play out our influence to serve other people, and we do this with prayer, then God will always help us do the right thing. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope it was useful for you. And I hope by the end of the show you have found some way to influence the surroundings around you in a better place. I hope to see you again next week on News from the Torah. Bye-bye. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.